Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you. It's great to be here today, isn't it? Today of all days, a day when we get to celebrate Jesus coming to this earth, and, uh, and uh, I'm just totally impressed. Welcome to all you online as well. I know you're probably still in your pajamas, but uh, we welcome you nonetheless. Uh, and uh, we're just glad to have you with us this morning. And um, I've, uh, you can't see everybody here, but I can, those of you at home. And we've got a lot of people here this morning. It's very cool to see, uh, which means there's a lot of people who open their, Chris, their Christmas presents on Christmas Eve, I'm guessing. You know, <clears throat> who am I kidding? Your kids have been up for like three or four hours already. You've already had presents open, breakfast, and now you're at church. Uh, before we begin, I've got two quick reminders uh, for you. The first is that today we begin, obviously, the last week of 2022, and that means that all donations received online or in person at the church by midnight December 31st will be received as 2022 donations. Donations sent in the mail must be postmarked before midnight December 31st in order to be included in that 2022 charitable donation receipt. The church office will be open this week, Wednesday to Friday, 8.30 to 4.30, but we will also have a box set up by the main doors to help you as well if you would uh, want to use that. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> the second reminder is that this Saturday is, of course, New Year's Eve, and that means we will have our very special year-end prayer summit that day, and note the special time. It'll be at 4 p.m. It's not our regular evening time, but it's 4 p.m., 4 in the afternoon, and this is a can't miss. Uh, Pastor Stefan tells me he's got some important things to share with us, and I don't think you want to miss it. So see you on Saturday at 4. Today, all over the world, people are gathering to celebrate the birth of Jesus. They'll gather in large city churches and small country ones. They'll gather in Winnipeg and Australia and Uganda and Liberia and at Manger Square in Bethlehem and where it, where it all began and in secret places like in China and Iran because there, this kind of gathering would be outlawed. And they, we, will all have one thing in common today. We've come to celebrate Jesus, the newborn king. The world was a very foggy and dreary place 2,000 years ago. I'm not going to go into detail. I did last week. The Roman Empire was at its zenith and ruled with an iron fist. Their only interests were acquisition and plunder. The Jewish leaders of the day, frankly, were no better. What had once been a group of people set apart and blessed by God were now a ragtag, motley crew with an illegal, propped-up leader. So paranoid about his own power and prestige that he was systematically killing off anyone who posed even the slightest threat to his leadership. In the fog, God's people had strayed. Human life had become very, very cheap. A deep and heavy fog seemed to rule and settle over the world, and most had lost their way. And something much, much worse, they were becoming used to it. And for us today, that kind of fogginess, that kind of blindness, that kind of lostness may seem really far removed, but it's actually not as far away as you think. I want you to think about it right now for a few minutes. Look at this Christmas season and all that's become wrapped up in it for you, both literally and figuratively. 
Think about all the busyness, the parties, the schedules, the work, the relationships, and the trips, and the Christmas cards, and writing and receiving things, and the mall, and the shipping. It really can be overwhelming at times. Maybe the fog actually isn't so far removed from us after all. Maybe we're becoming used to it. Perhaps we've lost sight of what's at the center of it all, and the fog keeps us from really celebrating Christmas for what it was meant to be celebrated for why we even have it in the first place. So I want you to be right at the outset here, just kind of go to this deep down, if I can be so crude, gut level honesty here with yourself. What or who is really at the center of your Christmas this year? What is this time of year really all about for you? Now, exercise in imagination here. If you could picture yourself, transport yourself to the nativity scene in your mind, for a minute, place yourself there in the manger, in the area where Jesus is born. What do you see in the actual manger itself? What do you see there? A beautiful iPhone 14? <laughs> An investment portfolio? Stack of invitations to parties? Stack of Christmas cards? A flyer where you've gone through and circled very subtly in broad, big, red strokes what you want people to get you? What is it that's truly at the center of your Christmas? What has perhaps caused you to lose sight of it? Maybe it's work. Maybe you're just so bogged down trying to get through the end of the year that you can't see anything but work right now. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's loneliness, a lack of belonging. And you dread this time because you know that at the dead center of your Christmas is an incredible sense of isolation and loneliness in that manger. And it's just another holiday to rush through and then to go on with life. We put so many things at the center of our Christmas, we've made it so murky and dark that we can't see what truly belongs there. And it's no surprise what truly belongs there, is it? It's Jesus. No matter what else you put there, Christmas is not really Christmas unless you put Jesus right at the center of it all. It sounds so simple, but we mess it up. Without Jesus, it's just Without Jesus and without Christ in Christmas, it's just a mass, right? And ultimately, life is just a mass if you don't get it right. I've had this illustrated in my own life, and maybe you have too. How many of you have ever strung or hung Christmas lights? Come on, just be honest here. Yep, okay. Well, then I'll have a little support group meeting with you after the service here, talk, <laughs> talk about some of my issues and yours. When we first moved to our farm from Calgary a number of years ago, we came with a whole conglomeration of old Christmas tree lights, most of which got so hot that you couldn't even touch them. Now, I know what you're thinking. They were not candles. I'm not that old. Len Neufeld is. So because we were living in an 80-year-old house miles from the nearest fire station and with young children, and because I thought we wouldn't likely have two nickels to rub together again for some time, I bought this new string of lights that would do all sorts of twinkle patterns, and they came in strings of a hundred lights. So much the better. No joining of card, cords, no fussing around. I put the lights on the tree with vigor and amazing artistry, if I must say so myself. Then reached down, plugged them in. I should have done that first, right? Because as I stood back, I saw none of what I expected. There wasn't a light lit. I checked the cords, I checked the fuses, I fumed, I fussed. Eventually I discovered that if there is one light bulb out, the whole thing didn't work. 
It doesn't matter how much time I spend, how much thinking I do, how great it all looks when it goes up. If there is one light bulb out, the whole thing doesn't work. So I figured, okay, I'll just go around the tree switching the bulbs and figure it out. I think I got to number 99 before I found the problem. See, you can have a nice, beautiful set of lights and have them all hung up real nice and pretty. Everything looks great. You've got them all decorated just like you want, but the second that one of them goes out, the whole thing is disconnected and they all go out. If it falls out and breaks, if it comes apart, or in my case, just decides to go out, the whole thing doesn't work. And you know what? It's a lot like Christmas, too. You can have it all figured out. You can have all your schedule lined up. All the food, all the parties, all the trips, all the troops, all the gifts, and everything all figured out. But if the one thing at the center of Christmas is missing, Jesus, the whole thing doesn't work right. Once Jesus gets taken out of the center of Christmas, all the meals, all the parties, all the friends, everything, it just doesn't work like it's supposed to work. There's no light in it, you see. There's no power in it at all. There's no beauty or wonder in that Christmas. Once Jesus is taken out of the center, it's just another foggy day. It's just another holiday that disappears into vapor. It's totally possible, you see, to go through the motions of Christmas and in the murkiness totally miss out on Jesus himself. People have been doing it since the very first Christmas. People have been missing Jesus. John wrote, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world that he created. Imagine that. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came into the world to be one of us, Emmanuel, to be God with us. The world still didn't recognize him, still didn't see him for who he was. Even among his own people, he wasn't accepted. He just got passed over. But the promise that Jesus gives is to anyone. Anyone who accepts and who receives him, who puts him at the center, not only of Christmas, but of their lives, they will be called, they have the right. You want to talk about what your right is as a believer? This is your right. He gave the right to be called the children of God. They will be given true life. They will be given the life that only God can give. Think about it. In a murky world, how hard can it be to recognize a light? But yet, for some reason, people all over the world, every year, they miss it. Instead of recognizing the light, the true light of Christmas, the true light of our world, they walk through Christmas, and they walk through this life unable to see, perfectly content in the fog to keep life just how it is. People have been doing it for 2,000 years, and maybe, just maybe, you're doing it this Christmas as well. Walking through it, not seeing, not recognizing the light that is Jesus. The reason why we celebrate, the reason there's Christmas or even life at all. But it doesn't have to be that way. The fact is, you're here right now, and so is Jesus. And maybe for the first time, the fog would begin to lift for you. Or maybe for the first time in a long time, or at least the first time this season, there is some clarity coming into your consciousness about what Christmas really is truly all about. And you can truly see and experience the light of Christmas, the light of the world, the only hope for your life, Jesus Christ. And we want to take time right now to open our eyes and to open our ears and ultimately open our hearts to him. Let's make this personal here. 
800 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Isaiah, and he made a prophecy one day about the long-coming, the long-awaited Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. And the minute he said that, and he will be called, everything and everyone got real quiet. Because names back then were a big, big, big deal. The next words that come out of his mouth would reveal maybe the character or the mission or the true identity or, yes, the calling, if you will, of the coming Messiah. These are not the names that Jesus' family and friends would call him. These are the names that reveal his mission and identity. Isaiah said, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. The Hebrew word translated wonderful signifies something way beyond our wonderful. It signifies something so indescribably great, so, so tremendous, so amazing, so beyond human experience or imagination that there's literally no words left to describe it. It's true wonderful. In this chaotic, uncertain world, wouldn't we all do well to have a wonderful counselor like that at our side, someone who knows more than we know about the whole range of subject matters, about life, someone who cares for us enough to come and walk alongside us and impart wisdom to us and knowledge to us lovingly, someone whose counsel can keep us from making unwise choices and blowing up our lives, someone whose perspective is higher than ours, whose wisdom is deeper, whose commitment to us knows no bounds. What a gift a wonderful counselor would be to each of us. Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus said, the Messiah is coming and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. When Jesus was born all those centuries later and started growing up, the Bible says that he matured in every way. And when he began his teaching ministry, his crowds grew and grew. He offered more insightful, trustworthy, penetrating wisdom and counsel than the world had ever heard before. In Jesus, we have someone who, by virtue of his great knowledge and understanding and his walk with us on this earth, is abundantly qualified to guide and direct our lives. And he is guided and prompted. He has led us as individuals, hasn't he? And he has collectively led us as a church. Isaiah goes on to say, this coming Messiah is also mighty God. It's a beautiful thing to have a loving counselor, he says, but don't forget, he's so much more than that. More than that, he's the sovereign. He's the mighty, all-powerful God. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. And sure enough, Jesus demonstrated this mighty power. He calmed a raging storm. He walked on water. He, felt a multitude, he fed a multitude who had no food. He healed the sick and opened the eyes of the blind and made the, the lame to walk. He brought people back to life, culminating with himself walking out of his own stone-cold tomb after three days. He proved his identity. He proved his divinity. He was and is still mighty God. I just wonder how many of you need to ask God for his power to be more evident in your life. Lord, open a door of employment. Please, by your mighty hand, set me free from crippling fear or from tons of shame or guilt. Pray bold prayers because of Christmas. A Christmas miracle has happened. Another one might just happen any moment now in your life if you have the faith to believe. Now, the next name is an interesting name, Everlasting Father. His name is Father. 
I mean, sometimes we get past this, starting to go too deep, and maybe it's just the way he thinks about us. Maybe he thinks about his relationship with us as being father to children. Isaiah announces to his listeners, there is coming the Messiah, and he'll be a wonderful counselor. He'll be mighty God. We'll bow in his presence. But when you come into a relationship with him as a child, with childlike faith into a relationship with this person as father, he will be your everlasting father. All that's attached to a fatherhood, love, care, security. You're never going to get the rug pulled out from under you by an everlasting father. You're never going to get orphaned ever by an everlasting father. Not in this life and not throughout eternity. Our everlasting Father is watching over us, loving us, helping us weather whatever storm we face. Our everlasting Father is at the controls. He's driving the family. He's driving the family vehicle, which means you'll arrive safely eventually. An everlasting Father is what the soul of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth requires. And the Bible says through a sincere prayer, Oh God, I don't deserve to call you Father, but I've heard I can come as a needy child in need of a father, and you would accept me as I am and become my father through what Jesus did by coming to the earth at Christmas. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The praying of a simple prayer can bring you into the family of God where you will have this everlasting father throughout this life and into eternity. That's the good news of great joy available to all people. And a final calling, Prince of Peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, not as the world would leave or understand it. It's a radical interior, inside kind of peace that takes root deeply in your life. When God's peace takes root in you, you just want that to spread all over the world from inside out. That is why the angel said, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This Christmas, with our world being in the state it's in, what does our world need more than probably any other thing than peace? It needs for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to establish a deep soul-filling peace in individuals that would have them turn to other people and decide not to hit them, not to shoot them, not to bomb them, but to seek peace instead. Would you stand with me now? The proclamation of Isaiah is that the coming Christ would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, and that he would usher in inner peace that would lead to peace on earth someday. So we're going to collectively read this text as a Christmas declaration. And as you do, I want you to say yourself, I want these names to take root in my life. I want the wonderful counselor to be my counselor. I want the mighty God to make his power available in my life. I want to be a child in relationship with the everlasting Father forever and ever. And oh, I so want his peace to rule and reign in my life. Are you ready? We're going to read this in full voice and then sing it even louder, okay? Let's go. If we can get it up on the screen, maybe... There it is. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Let's sing. Sing, O oh, come. O oh, come, Emmanuel. O oh, come, Emmanuel. O oh, come, Emmanuel. O oh, come, expected Jesus. Starry night, on a starry night, Bethlehem arrived the child, the great I am. The prophets had foretold the day when a rescuer would come our way. For unto us, for unto us, the Son was given. By his blood be forgiven. A baby wrapped in humble clothes was the promise of eternal hope. We sing his name shall be, his name shall be wonderful counselor, counselor, everlasting.
Jesus Messiah, the name above all names, the name above all names, blessed Redeemer, blessed Redeemer, Holy Emmanuel, Emmanuel, He is the rescue, the rescue for sin.
Oh, come, let us adore. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore. Oh, come, let us be seated. You are worthy of it all. God, may your reputation on earth be greatly enhanced. May people come to realize how wonderful you are, your worth. May you be adored, worshipped, praised. May you receive the honor that you're due. I remember reading a story about worth. An expert on antiques entered an, an antique store, mostly filled with, <clears throat> surprisingly enough, junk. But he noticed on the floor, there was a cat drinking milk out of a saucer. But the saucer he recognized was actually a vase from the Ming Dynasty in China that was worth a fortune. It was full of milk with the cat lapping out of it. He thought, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to get hold of that thing because the owner obviously doesn't realize what he's got here. So he went to the owner and he said, that's quite a remarkable cat you have. I'd like to buy your cat. And the owner said, well, the cat really isn't worth anything, but we're kind of attached to it. And the guy said, well, I'll give you $100 for that cat. The owner said, ah, all right. And then the man said, I'll need something to feed him out of. So I'll give you another 10 bucks and I'll take that saucer with it. The owner said, oh, I could never do that. That's actually a vase from the Ming Dynasty in China that's worth a fortune. <laughs> but it's the strangest thing. Ever since I started putting milk in it, I've sold 17 cats. All of us are used to attaching value to things. 
but sometimes we fail to recognize their true worth. This is very important to understand. Giving God our praise and worship is not something we do to boost God's self-esteem. We're not building up God. We are recognizing one who already has worth beyond measure simply because he is God, the King of Kings. He's worthy of our worship. But the first Christmas carol, basically, that was ever written got it right. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The first Christmas carol had substance. It said, for what God is doing by sending his son, glory, worship God in the highest. He deserves it. When we see or experience something we love, we have, made, we have been made with a desire, you see, to praise it or attach value to it. We've been created that way. The wise men attached value to Jesus before they even met him. They didn't give him some worthless or trivial things or try re-gifting, not even a last-minute gift card. They put serious thought into their gifts. When they came to Jesus, they gave him the very best they had. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and they gave him their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold is the gift for kings. In all of antiquity, if you had an audience with the king, you brought him a tribute of gold. Gold was the most precious metal and it attributed to them the value you placed in them, their worth. They gave frankincense. Frankincense is the incense that was used in the temple for the worship of God. They're saying, we know this little baby is no mere baby, and more than even a king, a king of the Jews. He's God himself. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's worthy of our worship. The third gift is, of course, the strangest birthday gift ever, right? Any new mom would be shocked because myrrh is the spice that was used to embalm dead bodies. When a person had died, they would use myrrh on their body and they would wrap them in linen cloth and put them in the grave. The wise men are saying, he's not just the king of kings, he's not just the lord of lords, he's not just God worthy of our worship, he's the savior who has come to save us and will give himself up for us. Because Jesus did not come just to earth to live. He came to earth to die for our sins so we could live forever with him in heaven. So we could be forgiven. Even before Jesus has spoken his first word, people knew he came to give his life. And they're representing that in the frankincense, the gift that symbolized the gift that Jesus would eventually make to the entire world on the cross. The question is, what are you going to give Jesus today on his birthday? What do you give the God who has everything? Well, actually, he doesn't have everything. There is something he doesn't have unless you give it to him. You have a gift that only you can give to God himself. This is what I suggest. If you want to be a wise man or a wise woman that you give Jesus today on his birthday, you give him your heart. You give him you. You see, faith and love are voluntary matters. Jesus doesn't have your heart, your love, unless you give it to him. 
you make a present, a gift of it to him. He's never going to force it. Your heart, you see, is what you love. Your heart is what you value. Your heart are the things you care about most. The heart is what you treasure. It's your value system. Jesus is very clear on how you can evaluate this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever costs you is what you're going to value, in other words. Love and a recognition of worth overflow into praise. A lover praising his beloved, fans praising their team, praises of weather, food, flowers, books, sunsets, puppies. Praise is inner health and joy made audible. God is the most worthy of our praise. When God is fully cherished, the heart is fully healthy and the soul is fully home because we were made to praise. Jesus is the name that was given to him at his birth by his parents on the angel's instructions. We know that Jesus means Savior, which exactly defined his ultimate calling into what he came to earth to be. It's a reminder that Jesus' birth had a purpose. The world can't save itself. Only Jesus can. That's the message of Christmas. I want to share a story with you from a book called Moments with the Savior by Ken Geyer. And this is his retelling of the birth story of Jesus, kind of rephrasing it, God being born, coming to earth. And so if it helps for you to just put away any distraction or anything that might keep you from really hearing this and seeing this and opening your heart to this, could you do that right now? And listen to how powerful and amazing it is that God would come, that he would choose to come this way as he did. So I quote, and listen carefully. <clears throat> For the census, the royal family had to travel 85 miles. Joseph walks while Mary, nine months pregnant, rides side saddle on a donkey, feeling every jolt, every rut, every rock in the road. By the time they arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen from an influx of travelers. The inn is packed. People were feeling lucky if they were even able to get a small piece of the floor. Now it's late. Everyone's asleep and there is no room. But fortunately, the innkeeper is not all shackles and might. True, his stable is crowded with guests and animals, but if they could squeeze out a little privacy there, they'd be welcome to it. Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrating on fighting her contractions. We'll take it, he tells the innkeeper without hesitation. The night is still when Joseph creaks open the stable door. And as he does this, a chorus of barn animals makes discordant noise of intrusion. The stench is pungent and humid, as there has been many hours already in the dark where the animals have been there. And guests as well, let alone the livestock. A small oil lamp lent to them by the innkeeper flickers to dance shadows against the walls. It's a disquieting place for a woman in the throes of childbirth, far from home, far from family, far from what she'd be expected to have around her for her firstborn. But Mary makes no complaint. It's a relief to just finally get off her feet and off the donkey, I'm sure. She leans back against the wall, her feet swollen, back aching, contractions growing harder and closer together. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable. Not a minute to lose here. Quickly, a feeding trough would have to make do for a crib. Hay would have to serve as a mattress. Blankets, blankets. Oh, what's he got? His robe. That would have to do. And those rags hung out to dry, they would help. A gripping contraction doubles Mary over and sends him racing for a bucket of water. The birth would not be easy either for the mother or for the child. For every 
every royal privilege for this son ended at conception. A scream from Mary knifes through the calm of that silent night. Joseph returns breathless, water sloshing from the wooden bucket. The top of the baby's head has already pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all of Judea, rushes to her side. The involuntary contractions are not enough, and Mary has to push with all her strength, almost as if God were refusing to come into the world without her help. Joseph places a garment beneath her, and with a final push and a long sigh, her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. Elongated head from the constricting journey through the birth canal, light skin as the pigment will take days, even weeks to surface. Mucus from his ears and nostrils, wet and slippery from the amniotic fluid, the son of the most high God, umbilically tied to a lowly Jewish girl. The baby chokes and coughs. Joseph instinctively turns him over and clears his throat. And then he cries. Mary reaches for the shivering baby. She lays him on her chest, and his helpless cries subside. Joseph sits exhausted, silent, full of wonder. The divine word reduced to a few in unintelligible sounds. Then, for the first time, his eyes fix on his mother's. Deity straining to focus. The light of the world now squinting. Tears pool in her eyes. She touches his tiny hands. And the hands that once sculpted mountain ranges cling to her finger. She looks up at Joseph and through a watery veil, their souls touch. He crowds closer, cheek to cheek with his betrothed. Together they stare in awe at the baby Jesus, whose heavy eyelids begin to close. It's been a long journey, you see, and this king is tired. And so with a barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity without protocol and without pretension. Where you would have expected angels, there were only flies. Where you would have expected heads of state, there were only donkeys, a few haltered cows, a nervous ball of sheep, a tethered camel, and a scurry of curious barn mice. Except for Joseph, there was no one to share Mary's pain or her joy. Yes, there were angels announcing the Savior's arrival, but only to a band of blue-collar shepherds out on the hills. And yes, the magnificent star shone in the sky to mark his birthplace, but only three or more foreigners bothered to look up and to follow it. Thus, in the little town of Bethlehem, on that one silent night, the royal birth of God's Son tiptoed quietly by as the world slept. Jesus came into our world for a reason. He came differently. He came in a way that was totally unsuspecting, but he came. He didn't come to give us a nice little story at the end of the year. He didn't come to give us another holiday or break from school. He didn't come to give us some new songs to sing. He came into our world to give us life. He lived life with us so that we could have life in him. And that's at the center of Christmas. And just like Jesus came some 2,000 Christmases ago, he comes again this Christmas, lovingly, deliberately, powerfully, even quietly. End of quote. And we have a choice to experience him at the center of our Christmas or to miss him entirely, to invite him in or to celebrate this Christmas without him, our choice. Let's use an opportunity that we have right now on his birthday to stop and to invite him into his own party as the honored guest and put him right at the very center of our Christmas, the centerpiece of all, the seat of honor in our lives. 
It's not too late to invite him into your Christmas this year. Maybe it's to experience him for the first time. Maybe it's to re-invite him in, reacquaint yourself with him. He's become lost in the fog of stuff. And I would encourage you right now, if you're willing to do that and you want to do that, just close your eyes for a moment, would you? Just close your eyes and as a gesture of invitation, open your hands up, palms up, palms up to God saying, I invite you into my Christmas. I invite you into my life this Christmas. In your own words, invite him into your work schedule. Invite him in. Think about the meetings or the deadlines that you have. Invite him to the parties that you dread going to. Invite him to the relationships that you were so looking forward to reconnecting with or you were so dreading having to meet with. Invite him in. Jesus, will you come and be at the center? Will you be with me in all of these things? Be at the center of my life and at the center of my Christmas. Invite him in in your own words right now. And in the silence, would you stand? And we will sing again. Silent night. Silent night. Holy night. All is calm. All is bright. Around your virgin
To think that all of God's plan, all of God's plan for the world was wrapped up in a little baby. But the greatest miracle of all about Christmas was not how Jesus came. It wasn't even who he came to. He came to be with us. What does that mean, really, for you to be with God? I want you to imagine that tomorrow morning, you'll wake up and open your eyes, and there is God sitting right next to your bed. Can you imagine this? And you'd be surprised because you were expecting your husband or your dad, who doesn't look at all like God, especially first thing in the morning. <laughs> but there he is. There is God. And God says, I've been with you here all night, watching you as you sleep, thinking about how much I love you, and I'd like to spend the day with you today, if that's all right. I'd like to help you and guide you, give you strength, give you wisdom. 
Mostly, I just want to be with you because you mean so much to me. Would that be okay with you? You tell them, that's the best offer I've ever had. I'd love for you to be a part of my day. And so you start your day, you and God together. Nobody else can see him. It's a secret thing between the two of you. But you find it makes all the difference in the world because you're doing your day with God. It changes your whole mindset, your whole attitude. You're not troubled or anxious about anything. You go to work and your boss asks you about some serious problem and what you're going to do about it. And you say, God only knows, and he does. And he helps you. He gives you wisdom and energy and guidance for your work. Sometimes he says, I want you to puzzle this one through for a bit on your own because it's going to stretch you and grow you. It becomes a kind of partnership. And your relationships are different because Jesus is there with every person that you encounter. You notice the way that Jesus looks at that person. You see how much Jesus loves that person. And a funny thing happens. You find yourself looking at that person the way that Jesus does. You find yourself seeing in that person what Jesus sees in that person. You find yourself starting to respond to that person the way that Jesus does. Not because you have to, but because you want to. You find yourself talking to him quite a lot through the day. While you're driving your car, you look over, and there's Jesus watching you drive. He looks a little nervous. <laughs> so you find yourself driving a little more slowly than usual. You're careful about your thoughts and actions towards others. It also makes a difference in the way you handle your money and the way you spend your free time. You find your level of gratitude and confidence and wonder and joy going up. And you don't feel lonely anymore. And you find not only do you like being with him, you like who you're becoming in his presence. You discover he's very polite. He will not intrude his presence where he's not wanted. And sometimes the truth is, there are moments when you don't want him around. There are moments when you want to do something or say something you'd rather not have him see. But amazingly, you can talk to him even about this. He understands and he says, we can work on this, you and me. We'll work it out. And you end the day just the way you started it, in your bed, talking to God. And together, the two of you look back on this day that you have walked hand in hand together, and you talk about what went well. And you talk about where you've got things a little wrong and where you need to learn. And then, last thing, just before you go to sleep, you ask him almost like a little kid, do you think you could stay with me a while? And he says, well, my plan is to sit here all night and watch you while you sleep. It's one of my favorite things to do in all the world. And tomorrow, if you want, we can do this again. Imagine that tomorrow morning when you open your eyes, God would be right there by your side, right at the side of your bed, because you know what? He will be. He is. Because this same Lord who was with Joseph and who was with Noah and who was with Abraham and who was with Moses and who was with Ruth and who was with Esther and who was with David, he will be with you if you want him to be. You see, because of Christmas, it's now possible because of Jesus for ordinary people like you and me 
to walk with God. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Heavenly Father, we've just come here on this day to to celebrate the birthday, the most significant birthday in all of history, in all of mankind. Jesus coming to be with us. You coming to walk amongst us. You coming to save us. You coming to die in our place. So you came to us. But there's coming a day when we're going to go to be with you. And this time there will be no doubt over who is at the center of our lives. For the Lamb is at the center of the throne, and he will be our shepherd. And he will lead us to springs of living waters. I, for one, can't wait. The real Advent is yet to come. So hear our prayers, Father. Hear our hearts in this. We adore you. We worship you on this day for all that you are and all that you've done and all that you will do and that you are God with us. That's our heart and our prayer, and we celebrate you this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. On behalf of the staff and the leadership, the board of this church, can I just take a moment to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a blessed and wonderful New Year. God bless you now as you go.